0: If it's 6 p.m. on a Thursday, that means it's time for Lehigh Valley Discourse, here on WDIY 88.1 FM, WDIY.org, and our WDIY app. And we start off with Perspectives with John Pierce. engineer this evening, Sarit Leshensky. Thanks, Sarit, for doing your great job over there. This evening, we're going to talk about levels of government, notably state and local government. The Robert B. and Helen S. Minor Center for the Study of State and Local Government educates students about the importance of state and local governments and encourages them to participate in state and local affairs as volunteers, interns, and future leaders. This center is located at Lafayette College here in Easton. The center engages in local, regional, national, and international public service, training, and outreach to state and local governments and civic organizations. It also promotes scholarly and applied research. The center is directed by Professor John Kincaid, who just happens to be my guest this evening, Dr. Kincaid. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much, John, for your invitation.
0: And we're going to explain to the folks what the Minor Center is. In the meantime, I just recently heard about it through your agent, one Lucille Kincaid. And yes, yes, you know how people always say, no relation, this is relation, yes. Yeah, Lucille mentioned to me and about the Minor Center. I got interested in it, and I asked uh, you if you would come in and talk to us about and explain what the center is. So let's start off with um, who were Helen and Robert Minor?:
1: Well, Robert Minor was the uh, governor of New Jersey from 1954 to 1962. And uh, he had graduated from Lafayette College in 1930. Uh, He lived in Phillipsburg, he'd walk across the bridge, come to school, and um, so after he graduated from Lafayette he became an attorney and after um, a number of years in law offices established in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and some local offices. He ended up being governor of New Jersey uh, following a Republican governor in 1954. So he was uh, served two terms, uh, helping to kind of institutionalize New Jersey's new constitution of 1948. And he was generally viewed as a reform governor who wanted really to bring an end to what was called the Hague era, and that is Frank Haig of Jersey City, who was a major political boss in his day, who was mayor of Jersey City really from 1919 to 1949. Oh my goodness. Um, He just so controlled, he is a machine-controlled New Jersey politics. And so Minor was opposed to that. He sought particularly to reform the state government system and bring an end to machine rule. You know, he was quite prominent in his time. Uh, He's well thought of as a a governor of New Jersey. He made a shot for the presidency in 1960, went up against John F. Kennedy in the Democratic National Convention. Uh, As we know, of course, he didn't make it. Kennedy made it, but um, Minor did give that a try. So uh, he was quite a fellow. And uh, his wife, Helen, who... uh, they married somewhat later in life. She served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1975 to 1978. Helen uh, was, is very well known actually for, in her younger years, she served in the Korean War and the letters she wrote home from Korea have been published they're very moving letters that she wrote, and so uh, she had a distinguished career of her own uh, back in those days. She, and, she
0: was uh, in the armed services? Yes,
1: it, she was in Korea during the Korean War, and so she served in Congress in 1975 to 19, 1978, during the Carter years. So they have since passed away. They're both buried in the Phillipsburg Cemetery, which was had Basically, was uh, Bob Miner's home for so many years, and, and where he had his law office.
0: And let's tell the listeners that Miner is spelled M-E-Y-N-E-R.
1: Right, Miner. I've been asked twice, "What is a minor professor?" <laughs> and uh, so I have to explain that <laughs> it's not M-I-N-O-R. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, why do you think the
0: miners established the Center for the Study of State and Local Government at Lafayette? Because he was an alumnus, right?
1: Right, because since he had graduated from Lafayette, they felt that it was very important to have some a center that would help encourage students get involved in state and local government. And so they endowed the center for that reason. That was in 1992. They filled the position of director in 1994, which was me, and I joined Lafayette College in 1994, uh, coming up from Washington, D.C. And so they felt that there really needed to be some stimulus to help students get interested in state and local government, because it's a bit of a hard sell. I mean, when students think about working in government, they always think about the federal government. They want to go to Washington, D.C., And, you know, most people go to Washington, D.C., end up being a fly on the wall, whereas in state and local government, you can have much more impact. You can affect people's lives more directly. And so we uh, try to encourage students, you know, to serve as internships or get involved in other ways, and particularly in local government. And, you know, think about it as a career, which uh, can be extremely rewarding.
0: Yes. And when you uh, were approached to come to Lafayette from Washington D.C., was the the position of director of the Minor Center in the works at that point? Was that one of the carrots that they put out for you to come to Lafayette?
1: Well, yes. It, the The endowment also established a chaired professorship, so my official title is Robert B. and S. Minor Professor of Government Public Service. And in that capacity, I also direct the minor center. So that was very attractive to me because my main area of interest is federalism, intergovernmental relations, and being able to build this new center that the college had uh, was very attractive for me. So, uh, mm. And I've enjoyed doing it in all these years. I've been here since 1994, so yeah, I must get, be getting issues. some enjoyment out of That's it. That's
0: right. <laughs> we're, uh, we're pushing on toward 30 years with your I, I know, I can't believe there.
1: it. <laughs> it's the longest I've been in one place. <laughs> when you're having
0: so much fun, time
1: passes That's quickly, right? That's right. Why, why leave?
0: My guest this evening on Perspectives is Dr. John Kincaid, who is the director of the Minor Center for Study of State and Local Government at Lafayette College. So, John, let's get into a little bit of what the center does locally, nationally, and even internationally.
1: Locally, we provide uh, a lot of assistance to local governments in various various ways. And one of our activities is to help local governments recruit city managers, finance managers, uh, police chiefs. We have a lot of small municipalities in this region, and so the elected officials don't have any experience in hiring personnel, and so we assist them in, in doing that. And uh, we have a number of city manager communities in this region, which means a city manager is someone who's hired by the city council to run the city.
0: It, it's like a mayor.
1: It's uh, Well, it's not a mayor because it's not an elected position. The, the city will have a mayor, but they hire the city manager to actually run the city. So the city manager is responsible for all of the administration of the city, the police and fire department, and so on and so forth. And the city manager... Is simply a, a nonpartisan individual whose function is to carry out the policy of the city council. So, you know, if the, the manager might come to the city council and say, we need a new fire truck. So the city council has to say yes or no to that and then set the parameters. How much can we spend on the fire truck? And then the city manager goes out and gets the truck. And that sort of thing and, and just makes and does handles all the hiring of staff with the municipality. So um, it can be very difficult to hire city managers. And so um, we have a uh, kind of a procedure putting out the word and recruiting candidates for city manager. And then usually the city council interview three or four candidates that we've recruited, and then the city council makes the final decision. We don't make that decision, but we we try to our best to recruit good candidates for them. So we, we've done a lot of that. We do some financial analyses for local governments, budget preparation. In in a pinch, we will help out with uh, administrative studies, streamlining uh, municipal administration. Uh, we do some salary surveys. So cities sometimes want to know well. You know, how much do city managers in other communities get paid or how much do police chiefs get paid? And so they want to be competitive. So we'll do a salary survey and we'll make those uh, determinations. And um, we also try to provide uh, training, customer service, for example, uh, leadership and provide training also for elected officials who are coming on for the first time and they don't know really how to run a municipality. Mm -hmm. So we can provide training for them as well.
0: Why is it difficult to get people to, to want to be a city manager?
1: Well, it's a tough job. You're responsible for everything. So you're really on call 24-7. And you have to deal with the city council as well. And uh, that can sometimes (laughs) be a a little bit difficult, especially when there's an election. And sometimes people get elected to the city council. Because they're blaming the city manager for the problem. Uh-huh. And the city manager is not really the problem, it was the previous council. <laughs> and so many people who get elected to city council don't always necessarily know what the city manager does. So we try to help them understand that. But um, so there is, uh, it's an excellent career. And uh, most city managers have a master's degree in public administration. Uh, there are a number of schools. Villanova, for example, is the nearest institution and has a graduate program for that. And Cutstown University also has a program. And uh, so usually you start out in a smaller municipality and then work your way up. And so, you know, you might become city manager of a very large municipality uh, when you become more seasoned in the, in the field.
0: So that's locally. And what about nationally?
1: Well, we work with the National Governors Association, National Conference of State Legislatures, Council of State Governments on some national issues affecting, particularly affecting the state governments. And so we, that's mostly a consultation role, and we do that on various issues that may arise. Usually, they're contacting us for some consultation, and we provide that consultation. Hmm. Uh, So we do that type of thing, working with mostly with those national organizations. What
0: what, uh, kinds of issues would come up from the nationals?
1: Well, the most recent was we were working with the National Governors Association on what the governors could legally do to help Ukraine during the war. And so many states, including Pennsylvania, have provided uh, surplus military equipment or policing equipment, medical equipment, a lot of uh, many things that uh, they've been contributing and so sometimes they need to work through the federal government to do that. Other than times they don't need to do that.
0: My guest this evening on Perspectives is Dr. John Kincaid, who is the director of the Minor Center for Study of State and Local Government at Lafayette College. Time for us to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment here on Perspectives on WDIY. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all of our programming possible.
1: Becoming a member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure we'll be here for the next person in our community to discover. The many choices and real voices you hear every day would not be here without your support. Make your membership gift today by calling 610-694-8100, extension 7, or at wdiy.org. Hey, I'm Elsa Chang with NPR, inviting you to tune in to All Things Considered on WDIY. All Things Considered covers the biggest stories of the day with thoughtful commentaries and insightful features. Listen to All Things Considered with local news headlines, weather and traffic.
0: Weekdays beginning at 4 p.m.
1: right here on WDIY 88.1, your trusted Lehigh Valley NPR member station since 1995.
0: And we're back talking about state and local governments with Dr. John Kincaid, who is the director of the Minor Center for Study of State and Local Government. The Minor Center is supported by an endowment contributed by the estates of the miners, as Dr. Kincaid mentioned to us earlier, also contributions from Richard and Priscilla Hunt of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and support from other Minor friends and family and external awards and contracts received from private donations, nonprofit entities, and government agencies for specific projects. So this brings up a question, John, and that is, is part of your role fundraising?
1: It was a bigger part of my role in the past than it is now because we've built the endowment up. And uh, so I've done that primarily through grants and contracts and also we do charge for some of our local government services so for a city manager position we do charge for that but we charge at a kind of low rate right so we really want to be able to help municipalities that otherwise wouldn't be able to bring some headhunter in to look for a city manager right so we do kind of a a discount rate because we are a non-profit organization but that also helps to bring in revenue
0: Speaking of municipalities, how large are we talking about? Is it the size of 100,000 a 100,000 city, or would it be a, a village of a couple oh, thousand? Oh, yeah, you
1: have barrows and townships, which are quite small, that have a city manager. There, it's usually particularly important because the city council is part-time. You don't have people, you know, who, you, you don't have a mayor who can really give 24-7 administrative service. But, you know, Dallas, Texas has a city manager as well. So some ver- most large cities don't, but a few do. But so you're, you're talking of the mid-range, medium-sized cities to small cities will have city manager systems.
0: Right. By the way, what is the definition of a city versus a town? It must be the population,
1: right? That's that gets a little bit complicated. (laughs) It it does depend on population size. So the legislature sets these different classes, and you have a different kind of charter from a municipal, a city, to a borough, to a township, and that gets a little bit complex.
0: All right. So um, we've talked about locally and nationally. How about internationally? What the minor center gets into.
1: Well, internationally, there has been a significant trend, particularly since the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, toward decentralization of government and more emphasis on self-government in local and regional areas and uh, much, many more experiments with federal forms of government where you do have these different uh, orders of government, federal, regional, and, and local. And so we have done a lot of consultations over the years in countries seeking to establish a federal system or strengthen local governments. And you know, in the years following the fall of the Berlin Wall, you found in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, for example, they didn't, didn't even know how to do a city budget. I don't know how those cities function, but wow. so kind of very basic kind of stuff. And now it's more like allocation of powers between the national government and regional and local governments, financial relations, uh, tax issues. So there's a lot of ferment around, and, and particularly because you think about so many countries that have, are very diverse. They have different nationality groups, different languages. A country like India, 25 official languages, and the states are organized around languages. Or Ethiopia, you have separate peoples who have very distinct identities and think of themselves as nations. So so building federal arrangements that try to establish unity while preserving the diversity of the population, that's a big challenge. So we've done a lot of work in those kinds of areas.
0: Professor Kincaid has written many articles and chapters for books and such. In fact, when you sent me your CV, John, and I looked at it, and I saw 68 pages of a CV. I never heard of that. You, I thought you were representing the whole faculty of the college there.
1: <laughs> well, in the end. <laughs> in the academic world the name of the game is you have to really list everything so <laughs> it gets ridiculously long and uh, so every paper you present things like that and that all goes toward your annual evaluation so these yeah. these things become um, very different from people who work <laughs> in a private sector outside of academia that's a, that's a good <laughs>
0: explanation of it and one thing that i noticed too with titles from various articles that you've written is federalism. The word federalism comes up a lot in the titles. So explain to us, what exactly is federalism?
1: Well, federalism is an attempt to establish unity while preserving diversity uh, by dividing and sharing powers between a national government and regional government like states or provinces or cantons in Switzerland and local governments. And we, there are about 26 federal countries in the world, but they account for more than 41% of the world's population. And that's partly because seven of the eight territorially largest countries in the world are federal. The exception is China. Canada, the United States, Australia, Brazil, for example, those are geographically huge. And that's another reason for having federalism. Even where you have a more homogeneous population as we have in the United States, we clearly have differences from state to state, and you can see that in policy differences. And now with the Dobbs decision returning abortion to the states, people are suddenly realizing the states make different policies. We have diverse electorates. So people are going to are seeing federalism in a new way now. I think in the United States as a result of that, but it is a, a, an attempt really to try to establish unity without destroying diversity.
0: Now, one of your chapter titles that jumped out to me is this one: "Which government do you trust the most? Federal, state, local, or none?" <laughs> I love that or none. <laughs> You almost Were you tempted to put none of the above?
1: Right. <laughs> um, but
0: that one is uh, because that's an eye-catcher. You know, it's a question.
1: So which do you trust? Well, Americans trust their local governments the most, their state governments second, and then hardly at all the federal government. Huh. So the trust levels in the federal government are running around... 19, 20 percent of the public has trust and confidence in the federal government to do what's right. Uh, when it comes to state local governments, it's around 71 wow. percent. And for state governments, it's around 67 percent. So Americans have a much higher level of trust in their local and state governments than they do in the, in the federal government, and it's tremendously different. That's not true in every country. So we also surveyed other countries. In Mexico, for example. People trust the federal government more than the local government. And I think that's partly because of the drug problem and cartel problem in in Mexico. But Canada's the same way. You yes, ask the Canadians they trust their local government the most, their provincial government second, and the federal government third. That's partly because well local governments especially do all the services. You know, right. the life and death services you right. you call nine one one. We water and sewer. I mean you can't live without local government and they provide all the services that affect your daily life. And as long as those services are being provided reasonably well, people are happy with the performance of local government and then secondarily with their state government.
0: Makes sense. Do people know what state and local governments do, actually?
1: They know generally what local government does. They have a little bit more difficulty understanding what the state government does. And they also don't always know what the federal government does. So you get people calling their congressperson about a pothole, for example. Well, that's <laughs> not Congress's responsibility. Right. So there is some confusion. But the, most of the research indicates that Americans, they have a general idea of what those three governments do. Uh, They may be confused about some of the specifics, and they have a general notion of which government should do what, and that generally runs along the lines of what they do do. So they don't expect the federal government to be doing waste management. You know, that's a local government job, and they don't expect the uh, federal government to be patrolling our highways. That's the state troopers. So they do have a general sense of what what these governments do.
0: So why is it important to improve the capacity of local governments?
1: Well, they're under a lot of fiscal stress, and we need a lot more uh, efficiency capacity. Local governments are facing the same kind of staffing issues as the rest of the economy, uh, finding it difficult to fill positions. And in a more competitive environment, that means having to pay employees more. If you're going to pay local government employees more, then you have to get the revenue to do that. So local governments are feeling a number of squeezes, and and we have more pressure on local governments to address major issues like climate change. Stormwater management, for example, is a very big issue for local governments in the area because the federal government has mandated that local governments clean up the stormwater. Well, that makes a lot of sense, but that's an extremely expensive proposition. So those kinds of pressures, and the states also are facing tremendous physical pressures, primarily from the Medicaid program, and that's the joint federal state health care program for the poor. Uh, but Medicaid pays most of the money for senior citizens and nursing homes. And so that is more than half of state budgets now go to Medicaid as a result of that. So they're experiencing financial pressures as well. Those have been relieved in recent years because all the aid coming from the federal government, from COVID, and then from the Biden administration, the infrastructure bill, and things like that. So at the moment, they're pretty flush with money. But five years from now, when dry, it dries up, it's going to be a different kind of situation. So really local governments and state governments need to build up their capacity and their efficiency now uh, in order to be able to function better in the long run.
0: One of the things that confuses me is when money supposedly trickles down, it, it starts at the, the national level, and then uh, in Washington, they decide we're going to allocate a certain amount of money to states, and the states then to municipalities. Is that the way it works with funding?
1: Well, some of it, yes. Some of the federal money goes to the state, and the state will then allocate it to local governments. But some of the money goes directly to local governments from the federal government, but again that's a complex problem we the federal government has more than 1,200 federal grant programs (laughs) so there's you know it's coming through all these pipelines and uh, that's another thing local governments and state governments have to manage because they have to spend the money for what it's allocated for they can't just spend it on anything they have reporting requirements so the administrative load of uh, grants and aid can be substantial as, as well But uh, it is a very complex system. And uh, for the states, most of the money they're getting is for Medicaid. And that's what they're spending it on. Uh, Much less money is coming for everything else. So Medicaid is the 60% of all federal aid to state and local governments is Medicaid money now.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that. That's huge. So this evening, my guest on perspectives has been Dr. John Kincaid, who is director of the Minor Center for Study of State and Local Governments at Lafayette College. John, are there other such centers in academic institutions around the country, or is this a unique thing?
1: There's only a handful in a few institutions, so we are somewhat uh, in, in the company of a small group in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest would be the Kennedy Center in Harvard, which also looks at state and local governments, and they do a lot of work with state and local governments. But for a small college like Lafayette, we're almost unique. Claremont McKenna College in California has a local government center, but this so it's very unusual for a small undergraduate college to have a center like this.
0: Hooray for good old Lafayette!
1: Right, and the miners for thinking about it. Exactly,
0: John Kincaid. Thank you so much for coming over and chatting with us here at WDiy about the Miner Center. The more we can get the word out, the better. We want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas at this time of year and a Happy New Year.
1: Thank you very much, John, and the same to you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
0: And to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, too. And Sarit Lashinsky. thank you so much for engineering for us this evening here on Perspectives with Lehigh Valley Discourse. I'm your host, John Pierce, Remember as you go through the holiday season and the coming year to be gentle with your neighbor.